Hello and welcome to Harris in Conversation, our Harris Federation teaching and learning podcast brought to you remotely from London. Our series aims to bring important and relevant teaching and learning conversations to you, whether you're a frontline teacher, a school leader, an educational enthusiast, or you just clicked on this by mistake. My name is Ollie Blagden, and today I am joined by not one, but two exciting guests, Amy Staniforth and Stuart Pryke. Amy is an English teacher, acting head of department and assistant principal for quality of education and people development at a small rural secondary school in Norfolk. Amy has enjoyed contributing to conferences such as the Team English National Conference and the LitDrive CPD programme. Stuart is an English teacher and teaching and learning lead in a secondary school just outside Ipswich, Suffolk. He is a LitDrive regional advocate and has worked with Oak National Academy. Stuart has spoken at several educational conferences including Pixel and is a keen contributor to the Team English online community. One more thing they have in common, they are the joint authors of Ready to Teach Macbeth, which, in its own words, brings together the deep subject knowledge, resources and classroom strategies needed to teach Shakespeare's tragic play, as well as the pedagogical theory behind why these ideas work, helping teachers to deliver a knowledge-rich curriculum with impact. Critics have described the book as a decadent delight, a gift to the English teaching community, nothing short of inspirational, a perfect blend of academic research, challenging questions around pedagogy and practical approaches in the classroom. In short, it's probably fair to say that the book is a hit. So, let's jump in and find out more. Hello, Amy and Stuart. Thank you so much for joining us. Hello, thank you for having us. What an introduction. (laughs) Well, (laughs) obviously. If we just start at the beginning then, just looking at your respective biographies, you have such a wealth of experience in education. How did you first meet and what led to you working together? Good question. So we met on our PGCE. We both did the PGCE in English at the University of East Anglia, graduated in, I think, 2013. And we you know, knew each other well enough on the course. It's quite a small course, about 20 of us. And so we you know, spent some time together whilst we were training. And I guess the reason why we are still as good friends as we are now is actually linked to Macbeth, funnily enough. At the end of our PGCE, our PGCE tutor, Dr. John Gordon, he organised a trip to Shakespeare's Globe, it's his favourite place, and Macbeth was playing. And so Stuart and I both signed up to the trip and both went down to London for the day and were watching Macbeth quite happily stood together as groundlings. And we hadn't looked up who was in it beforehand, but it, it just so happened that in this particular production, Billy Boyd was playing Banquo. And when he walked out on stage, Stuart and I turned to each other and said, Sotto voce, Pippin uh, from Lord of the Rings, and I think <laughs> <laughs> I think that the rest was kind of history. After that, I think at that point we both knew we'd found somebody who uh, who knew us and and got us. And how was Billy Boyd as Banquo? Was he good? Oh, he was magnificent. He was, he really, was really brilliant. Good. Yeah, he was. You know what? Watching that performance, I bought it on DVD actually because it was so good. He he delivered those lines and played that character in a way that I'd never really considered before. So, you know, particularly when they first meet the three witches, he brought out the humour in that 
scene in a way that I had never considered at all. He was brilliant. That, that performance will, will stay with me for a long time, actually. That is still the version that I use in the classroom to teach Macbeth with. I think it, it, Billy Boyd was amazing and Joseph Milson played Macbeth. And for me, and this might be a controversial statement, but that is the definitive version of Macbeth. I think he plays it beautifully. I always remember Billy Boyd, obviously from Lord of the Rings. And the scene that always stands out for me is the one where he sings in Return of the King. And he's just got a really beautiful voice, hasn't he? I could definitely see him being a really powerful theatre actor. And I definitely know what you mean about coming back to Macbeth and seeing it performed in different ways. And that's something we might pick up on in, in a moment. But let's talk about the book now. Why did you write it and what did you set out to achieve? That's a really good question. To be honest, it it had been brewing in our minds for a long time. We always discussed writing a book, but I don't think we'd really had the confidence to do it until we finally just said, you know what, let's just approach a publisher with this idea and, and see if they like it. And, you know, I'd probably say, correct me if I'm wrong, Amy, but we started having this idea about two, three years ago. And, you know, we were talking about English subject knowledge and how important it is. And what we would have loved to see as trainees was a book or a resource of some kind where you could find your subject knowledge for a particular text, plus your resources and explanations of pedagogy all in one place. And we had a look around and we couldn't really find anything that we were after as teachers ourselves. So, you know, after doing our research, we, we just, we found that didn't really exist. So we just thought we'd have a go at it, really. And, you know, the one thing driving us the whole time was this idea of a one-stop shop for knowledge, resources, and pedagogy. So in this case, it's, we really wanted to create that Macbeth Bible, almost, that teachers, no matter who they were or where they were in their career, as an NQT, as someone who'd been teaching 10, 15 years, could go and read it and enjoy it and and see Macbeth in a in a different light we also really wanted to talk about that deep subject knowledge as well do our research and do our reading and compile that as a synthesis of all of our research as well for people to enjoy and to help them in the classroom yeah there's two people we've we've seen speak live numerous times now and actually I think a lot of of what they've done around thought on the curriculum really heavily influenced what we did with the book as well. So the, the two people are Jennifer Webb and Mary Myatt, both just incredible writers and teachers and, and people. And Jennifer Webb talks a lot about being unapologetically ambitious and unashamedly academic. And, you know, we, as Stuart mentions about subject knowledge, I think every student deserves the right to good, deep subject knowledge. And that was something that drove us. And the other, the other thing is Mary Myatt talks a great deal of sense, I think, about curriculum. And she talks about how students don't deserve a diminished diet. They deserve good quality input from their teachers. And I think we wanted to try and capture some of that in what we did with the book as well. I do have a copy of the book here in front of me. And this might seem like a, a strange thing to say to begin with. But aside from just being a beautiful book, aesthetically, when you open it, you do realise just how dense it is. As you say, it's packed with subject knowledge, resources, scene analyses, learning activities, teaching and learning research and methodology. And you actually refer to the book in its subtitle as a compendium. What was it like compiling something so extensive? How did you manage such a mammoth task? I mean, I look at it now and I think I can't believe that we we wrote that much. Um, <laughs> you know, when we were in, we were in editing and. and a fun fact for you, I guess, uh, we'd actually cut 40,000 words from it. So it could have been longer, wow. uh, a lot longer. 
in terms of kind of what it was like, I, I don't think we really, I'm not sure really. I think we just both really enjoyed the, the research aspect of it and going away and doing this extra reading in places that we hadn't really looked at before. And so it didn't, it, looking back at it now, it seems as if it would be this huge, huge task. And, and you know, it was, it was, it's a, it was a year of our lives essentially. But it just didn't feel like that at the time. I, I don't know if Amy would agree with that. But it, it was more, it was just really interesting to write because we were learning lots of stuff as well as we were as we were writing it. And we would quite often text each other and say, I didn't know this. And, you know, did you? And, and it was just those really like those golden moments, I think is, is what I started calling, um, calling them. Just those little nuggets of information that I didn't know, but that opened up the play to us in a whole new, in a whole new light. Definitely. All of those things and lots of cups of tea, I think, is, is what, uh, what helped us through. <laughs> <laughs> a good old cup of tea. Absolutely. You mentioned there in passing, I think, research. And, you know, if you're looking at for a moment at the teaching and learning, it does feel when you read the book very much that alongside the what, the how and the why do play a real integral role. And you designate specific time to discuss pedagogical theory, mentioning the likes of Ebbinghaus, the forgetting curve, Shibley and West, cognitive load theory, and of course, our old friend Rosenshine and the principles of instruction. Was educational research important in the shaping of this book? And if so, why? I think it definitely was a huge part of what we were doing. I think um, there's that old sort of metaphor, isn't there? If we've seen further, it's by standing on the shoulders of giants. We wanted what we wrote about in the book to be founded on what we do in our own classroom. And what we do in our own classrooms is, of course, founded on pedagogical research and theory. We both are voracious readers of educational literature. And if we want to do something in the classroom, we want it to have an impact on the students who we teach. And so we wanted to have that same sense in the book as well. And you know, Stuart, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I, I think with the, the whys, they're more intended as a bit of an introduction to those theories, a bit of a kind of a, a sweet shop of educational theory. And here's where you can go and read more about these things so that it kind of inspires people, hopefully, to go and pick up some other books and find out more about why these things work in the classroom. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think we didn't just want to bring out a book where we said, this is what you should be teaching and this is how you should be teaching it. Because who are we to, to say that as such? Just by, as, as Amy said, having that introduction, um, it appears at the end of the book, our kind of why, why we've designed the book in the way we have. But just by having that in there, I felt as if it was just, it was important, I think, just to tell anyone who, who did decide to read it that actually it's, it's current and it's based on that latest kind of pedagogical theory and that grounds it a lot more I suppose doesn't it yeah absolutely there was lots more that we could have put in there you know it's it's we've we've picked out various things like like what you mentioned and there was lots more that we could have put in there but actually when we sat down we thought what really is the driving force behind this book what are we currently inspired by and what do we think we'll be inspired by for a long time you know we narrowed it down to, to four or five of those ideas and we thought actually yeah these are the ones that we've got to include and as Amy said hopefully it will encourage others to go away and read more widely in that sense on that theory. Now I don't know about you but I, we alluded to this earlier on but I find that each time I read or see Macbeth I do notice something new or see things in a slightly different way. It's one of those plays. And I've gone from considering Macbeth to be this emasculated victim of Lady Macbeth to the two of them having an equally enabling partnership. I've heard Macbeth described as a love story. 
during your research, which was clearly extensive, did you learn anything new about the play? Any characters you now think of in a different way, perhaps? Oh, so much. I learned so much. And I hope, Stuart, you're not embarrassed by my, my saying this, but I think my favourite thing about the entire book is the work that Stuart did around the porter. I think it is absolutely brilliant. Obviously, the porter rocked up on, a, on, a, on an exam paper a few summers ago, and everyone, I think a lot of people were quite shocked by that. But the work that Stuart did on comparing the porter and Macbeth and the idea of Macbeth having been, sorry, the porter having been prefigured in what we already learn about Macbeth beforehand, I think is, it really unlocked for me the purpose of the porter, that he's not there as just this comic relief, but he, he serves his own purpose. And actually in the porter, we almost get a summary of the play and Macbeth's foibles just in, in those few very short lines. I think that's right. You discuss how he is a sort of a reflection of Macbeth almost. Is that right? Yeah, so it's kind of in the, the people who he imagines visiting him each represent a different aspect of his character, which is certainly something that I hadn't considered before. I remember ringing Amy, actually, when I read, that was based on a, another paper that I'd researched. And I rang Amy, really excited, weirdly, just, think, uh, just saying, you know, I've, I've just discovered this. Did you know this about the porter? And it was just those moments, I think, which really made the book a joy to write. You know, similarly, Amy's work on Lady Macbeth in chapter five, she talks about looking at Lady Macbeth through a feminist lens. And, you know, I really like the kind of local link that she put in there. She talks about Emma de Gowda and how she held Norwich Castle at quite a young age and talks about how ambition in women at that time certainly seems to be or is portrayed as this negative thing but actually that's not the case at all lots of lots of different things that we learn act four scene three as well for me was a big one i famously mm. don't like that scene at all i find it so difficult to teach but sitting down and actually reading up on it and and thinking about malcolm's motive for tricking Macduff and the allusions to edward the confessor and Shakespeare's exploration of what makes a king and what makes a tyrant and the fact that it's very easy to follow that tyrannical route. I really enjoyed it, really enjoyed writing that. And just that research around it was, was really fascinating. Do you think that the Malcolm scene and uh, certainly the Porter scene, they are scenes that we tend to be guilty of maybe washing over a little bit as teachers. And I suppose there's your hope that maybe those scenes will have a bit more attention paid to them with the help of the book. Yeah, I think so. I mean, if you look at kind of different inter in different adaptations, sorry, of Macbeth, you know, the porter is there more often than not. But Act 4, Scene 3, if it's there, it's heavily abridged in certain, in certain productions and, and certain film versions. So I always feel as if maybe that kind of sends a subliminal message that actually it's not as important as it probably is. But, you know, I think I was, I was really nervous before of teaching those scenes and really almost threatened by them, I think. And actually what, what we try to do in, in the book is kind of remove that threat a bit for teachers and students and hopefully have presented the scenes as, as scenes that do have a purpose and do complement the overall story really well. Really interesting. And having spent then so much time immersed in Macbeth, what do you think it is that makes the story so loved? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, I, I think initially with Macbeth, a lot of students approach it, and actually lots of teachers too approach it, and I'm, I very much did this in the first few years I was teaching the play. We, we sort of pitch this play to students because and we say it's really exciting because there's ghosts and witches and there's blood and gore. But actually, I think there's so much more to Macbeth than those things. And 
Of all of Shakespeare's plays, I think Macbeth's themes are amongst the most universal. The thing that I love so much about Shakespeare is that he writes universal truths about all of us. And he's, you know, 450 years ago, even today, he's so relevant because whilst hopefully none of us and none of your listeners will know what it is to step in the shoes of Macbeth and Lady Macbeth, actually, we've all felt ambition and we've all felt guilt and excitement. And so we can see ourselves echoed in his writing. And I think that's really exciting for students to catch these glimpses of themselves in characters that are kind of reaching a hand out through time, I guess. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I also think lots of people as well say that Shakespeare is quite boring, but they'll happily watch something like Game of Thrones. And I think, you know, when you consider the similarities between Shakespeare's royal plays, whether they're histories or tragedies, the plotting, the intrigue, the lessons we can learn, they're all there. And I think, you know, Shakespeare's stories are filtered into popular culture because they're just really good stories. And I think that's why they endure as well, because he, he knows how to entertain us. And, you know, we're still being entertained all of these years later as well. It's really interesting there that you make the comparison with Game of Thrones. I was discussing with some colleagues the other day about tragedy and its evolution through time. And, um, and we were thinking also about Breaking Bad as a sort of modern TV tragedy as well. I mean, do you think that we have any good representations of tragedy in modern culture? Is Game of Thrones, for instance, a really good example of that or are there better ones out there? What do you think? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think I've always just thought of, I've always just linked Shakespeare's histories to Game of Thrones because he always talks, you know, there's, there's those similar themes of, of, yeah, trying to rise to the top and ambitious people um, that have, through their hubris have eventually experienced quite major downfalls. I quite liked your, your link there actually to Breaking Bad because I think actually that is tragic, isn't it? What happens to him at the end of, of that series? Um, I don't know. Amy, what do you think? I am racking my brains. I can't think. Yes, I think Game of Thrones is a, a brilliant example. Um, a really, really strong example. And, I, you know, again, if we can link back to Billy Boyd just for a second, I think what Tolkien achieves in Lord of the Rings is, is not dissimilar. And I was just thinking, so Stuart and I go to the theatre a lot. And one of the the best things I think we've both ever seen on, on the stage was a trilogy of plays by Rona Munro called The James Plays. And they were about the first three King Jameses of Scotland. So we're looking about 100, 200 years after Macbeth is set. And I think what she does in those plays is almost magical in capturing the tragedy of kingship. I know obviously Shakespeare's writing about an 11th century Scottish king, vaguely speaking. But actually what Rona Munro did in, that must have been 2013, 2014, what she does to talk about the first three King James of Scotland, they become these real people and the, the loss that they suffer is visceral and you feel it. And I think that's a magnificent modern representation of tragedy, even though it's about something so historical. When we look then at Ready to Teach Macbeth, uh, there are rumours I've heard of a follow-up book. Can you give us an inside scoop? Is that going to happen? Is that happening? Um, yeah, I think we can. I think we can, can't we, Amy? Yeah, yeah, let's. <laughs> um, yeah, so we are currently working on Ready to Teach a Christmas Carol, and it's uh, we've we've literally just started. It's very early days. Um, we're still on the first couple of chapters, but yeah, we are knee deep in research for that, and. Um, yeah, I think we had a break because obviously we, we handed the manuscript in for Ready to Teach Macbeth in July, I think, and then spent mm. September kind of working through it once the edits came back and everything. And so we had a bit of a break for Christmas, but we, we're 
ready to go with that now. Yeah, watch this space. I don't know when it will be out yet, uh, probably the end of the year, you know, obviously with, with our current kind of situation and stuff and, and remote teaching, we're just fitting in bits and pieces when we can. But yeah, I think it's going well so far. I feel excited about it. I feel like we've, we've got into the writing, we've done lots of reading and we've got it back into the writing now and it, we've got that, certainly I've got, I don't know about you, Stuart, I've got that kind of excited feeling back that I had when we were writing Ready to Teach Macbeth. Yeah, absolutely. I was exhausted when we finished the Macbeth one. <laughs> yeah. I, was, I just need a bit of a break before we go back to yes. writing. I think once you get that excitement back and you get that, you know, it, I don't know, it's just a feeling within you that you think, yes, I'm ready, I'm ready to go with this. So, uh, yeah, look out for it. I think there are thousands of teachers who probably just fist pump the air right now with joy that there is going to be ready to teach on a Christmas carol. I'm sure that will be really, really useful. Um, so finally, in the spirit of celebrating those who have impacted us the most, Stuart and Amy, who were your favourite teachers at school and why? That's a brilliant question. Um, am I permitted to have two? Can I have two? Go on, you can have two. Of course you can. Oh, thank you very much. So both of mine are teachers I had at, at secondary school. Miss Cracknell, Vicky, I think is probably what her grown-up name is, um, but I don't think I could call her that if I saw her. So she was my English teacher all the way through, I went to an upper school, so from year nine all the way through to year 13. And the thing I remember most about her teaching is that she always treated us as academic equals. So the passing on of knowledge was, it sometimes was a didactic thing, and I think that is teaching but there was something really natural about the way that knowledge was passed in that classroom and, and for the first time in her classroom I felt like a student of literature I felt as if I sort of had permission to make a contribution to the conversation about literature and I will always remember really distinctly the moment at which it was like a, a flick of a switch at the moment at which I realized that I really loved English and we were reading The Great Gatsby in year 12 and I even I can tell you exactly what paragraph it was we're reading the description of the Buchanan Mansion and um, it's that paragraph that starts. And so it happened on a warm, windy evening. I drove over to East Egg to see two old friends who I scarcely knew at all. I remember with that sentence, it was like something shifted in me. And it was thanks to what Miss Cracknell was doing with that lesson and with the teaching. And I will always remember that moment. And I'll never forget her support or her cheerleading or her championing or her terrible sense of humour. She was wonderful. And my other favourite teacher was Mrs Gawthorpe. So Carol Moss is her grown up person's name. And she taught me A-level history and she was my head of sixth form. And she was one of those people who you could see, even at the time, that she was genuinely interested in young people. And she really believed passionately in the true purpose and the potential of a good education. And I'll always carry her support with me and her belief in every single student that she taught that we could go on and do whatever it was we wanted to do so I'll always be thankful to yeah to Miss Cracknell and Mrs Gawthorpe. Oh that's a good explanation um <laughs> I've, I'm gonna go slightly different I'm I'm going with one of my primary school teachers called Miss Cook and um she left a lasting impression on me because of her love of Shakespeare and I think that's really where I picked up my love of Shakespeare from. She always taught year six I think actually now she, she doesn't, but when I was at school, she always taught year six. And the year six play was always a Shakespeare play. And we would learn about the story and we would learn about the different scenes. And then we got to rewrite it, which, you know, for primary school students was really exciting because suddenly we could give ourselves all of these lines and make ourselves, you know, the stars of the show, even though we didn't even occur to us, we'd have to learn all of the lines that we wrote for ourselves. But she first taught me Romeo and Juliet, and that is the school play that we did. 
And it was just her passion and her enthusiasm for Shakespeare that really brought it alive for me. And I think it was certainly heading into high school. You know, I was going with this love of Shakespeare, which I think is quite difficult, I think, for some students to to find. You know, sometimes the, the name Shakespeare just comes with negative connotations because of the challenge that comes with it. But she really set us up well for that that high school education where we would be looking at those Shakespeare plays in more detail. So yeah, Miss Cook for me. They're really, really good answers. It, I just think this is one of my favourite questions to ask because it just underlines, doesn't it, how personal a relationship can be between a teacher and a pupil without even them perhaps knowing it at the time. So I think raising a pint or a glass of wine, if we could right now, to um, those teachers, <laughs> absolutely brilliant. So... Ready to Teach Macbeth, a compendium of subject knowledge, resources and pedagogy by Stuart Pryke and Amy Stanifeth is available now to buy from all good booksellers and online retailers and is available to download instantly on Kindle. Amy and Stuart, where can we find you online? So I'm, I frequent Twitter quite a bit. I, I am a, probably a bit too addicted to Twitter, but my um, Twitter handle is at spryke2 and yeah, I'm always on there. So yeah say hi <laughs> and similarly i'm uh, i'm on twitter probably more than i ought to be i'm teach Als, so the word teach followed by the letters a l s and i blog at thingsshetaught.wordpress.com thank you so much we will be hunting you down and following your words of wisdom thank you so much for joining us keep in touch and all the best to both of you for 2021 will you come back on maybe when your next book is ready uh, of course we'd love yeah, to Thank you so much, both of you. Thank you. Thank you. This was Harris in Conversation. My name is Ollie Blagden. You can find the Harris English Consultants on Twitter at HFedEnglish and me at Oliver Blagden. If you haven't already, check out our other teaching and learning interviews at podbean.com forward slash Harris in Conversation and our latest pupil podcast resources at anchor.fm forward slash learning with Harris or find both of them on Spotify. Join us soon for our next interview and until then, take care.